So this week, uh, Silas turned four, like Monday. And so part of the birthday party, we did that last weekend before last Sunday, but uh, he got, my dad got him some Legos. Not like Duplos, which he primarily has played with, but it's like, well, it's really technically his second set, but first one was pretty small and he didn't really mess with it. But he got his first like real set of Legos he was kind of excited about. And so not long after the party had kind of settled down, we sat down and started building this first Lego set. And it's simple. It's just a little car and a little boat and a couple little things. It's Spider-Man and, and one of the bad guys. So we're building this thing, and, and we'll look through the directions. I'm like, I'm not going to build it for you. you got to help me. Okay, all right. So we'd look at the picture. Where does this, where, what piece do you need? And we'd find it, and, and he goes, this one. I got it. Here it is. He's all excited. And then we're like, all right, where does it go in the picture? Can you see where it goes? Uh, right here. And he'd kind of look. And he'd get it sort of in the right spot, but maybe turn around. So he'd kind of say here, and he'd kind of look up. Like, is this right? Is this the spot? I'm like, that's it. Good job. Way to go. And he'd get all excited and happy and push it in. And he'd like, I need help with this one. It's kind of stuck. And I'd, okay, yeah, they're hard to push together. So I'd push it together. And then um, same kind of thing. I'd go, all right, where does it go? And he doesn't look at the direction book real closely every time. And so he's just like, okay, uh, it goes here. he just put it in some random spot. I'm like, no, not there. Look at the picture. Oh, okay, there. And he'll have it turned around the wrong way. I'm like, well, you need to turn around because it faces this direction. Okay, okay. So we get it, and it was a slow process for as little of a set as it was, but it was a lot of fun. I was having a blast as the Lego kid that I was, getting to actually do that with him and um, have that kind of fun time together. And so we get the set put together, and he's having a blast playing with it all week. So we, he has a little birthday money, he buys another set, and we do the same thing and go through this process. And it's funny because every time he does something where he's, like, getting the hang of it, I'm like, good job, way to go. He's all excited and like, I got it. And he, he got this big smile on his face because he knows he's done it right, right? And he loves hearing that he's done a good job. It's like any other kid when they do something well, right? They, they learn a new trick. They can now do like a little somersault or they can do a cartwheel or something like that. And they want to show you a hundred times. Look at this cartwheel I can do. And it's not very good sometimes, right? It's like, yeah, you got to work on your form there a little bit. But they're super excited about this new talent they learned. And of course, you even though you've seen better cartwheels in your life, you're like, that's wonderful, great job, fantastic, keep it up. We want to encourage them to keep trying, keep learning, keep growing, right? And it's so much fun when to see them do something and then turn to you and look and go, what do you think? Like, they're looking to you for those cues and saying, how did I do? What did you think? And they love getting that positive feedback, right? It doesn't stop in our life, does it? Because the moment we get that positive feedback, we, we, we start to play sports, right? Maybe. And we start playing games, and we start doing things. We're like, did I do good? Did you see that goal, that goal I scored? Did you see that, that ball that I hit? Did you see how far it went? Did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see I caught it? I actually caught it with my mitt and not my face. It's so good. I'm so excited. We had a couple moments like that this week, too. It was just a tennis ball. It was okay. But um, I told him, I'm like, I'm throwing it right here. Be ready. Okay. All right. So when they catch it, they're super excited. Or when they kick the goal, they're super excited. But then it goes from just mom and dad to... Everybody else is cheering, too. The coach is saying, good job. I like this. This sounds good. And the more we hear the positive feedback, the more we hear the praise, we're like, I like that. Teachers, the same way. Like, we get into school. We start doing well. Your parents want you to get good grades. You're, you're excited that they're happy about your report card. But eventually, it's like, ooh, I want to impress my teacher with my grades. And I want to impress these honor society people with my grades. And I want to impress these scholarship people with my grades. And I ultimately want to impress this college with my grades. And we keep growing and how we think of the feedback that we want to receive and how we look at the people around us and how we see the opportunity for accomplishment. And we want to be able to turn and look and hear people 
cheer and say, good job, well done, nice work, that sounds great. And it fills us with this sense of pride in what we've accomplished. And pride in general can be an okay thing. I'm happy about this Lego set I just put together. It looks good. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we did this together. That's a great time. I'm proud of my son and how he's learning and figuring this stuff out. But we all know that this word pride can quickly take on a pretty nasty connotation. And as we've been talking about the sickness, this morning we're going to dive into this word pride. Because as we wrap up Genesis 1-11, through 11, we've started talking through this idea that sin infects the world, that sickness takes hold of our hearts and our lives, and these symptoms start to shine through as we turn our focus from God and His plans and turn them into ourselves and said, no, it's about me and taking care of me and how can I benefit me. And we look at Genesis 1-11, through 11, we see all these different accounts of stories of how Adam and Eve didn't trust themselves, therefore they didn't trust each other, and how this broke relationship with other people in their life. We talked about this need to build up some semblance of an image of ourselves. No, I'm still a good person. We talked about that insecurity and what that leads to and how we try to protect our image and protect how other people view us. And we talked about this this side of the other side of it where to make ourselves look better, we tear other people down. This vengeance, if I can get even, if I can make them look bad, if I can get everybody pointing and laughing at them, if I can get everybody talking about their garbage in their lives, they won't look at me so much. And then ultimately last week we talked about those desires that take hold and how it doesn't really matter what, sometimes what other people perceive or how other people view it. Sometimes there's just things we want and we desire and we see them and we think it'll feel good. We want to take care of our own well-being. We want to take care of our own just attitude and general happiness. And therefore we try to take things for ourselves that really didn't belong to us or things we shouldn't have had or things that we think will make us feel good or satisfy us, but they don't and how we just lack this ability to be content in who Christ is. And this morning we're going to finish up 1 through 11 by talking about Genesis chapter 11 and this story that exists here, this kind of interesting, weird little story about this tower these people start to make and the way pride ultimately ties all of these pieces together. But before we get too far into Genesis chapter 11, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I love you. And I'm thankful for the gifts that you give us, and I'm thankful for the gifts of kids that continually teach me about what it means to be a father and what it means for you to be my father. And and Father, the ways I know you look at us and are happy and proud whenever the light comes on and we start to get it. But Father, I also know it breaks your heart when we ignore your instruction altogether and just go off on our own way. Father, when we try to take care of ourselves or build an image for ourselves and we ignore your plan and your your system and your way of doing things and your way of understanding this world that you've created. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that you would help us strip away and die to all of our understanding and all the things we think we know and help us to rest contently in your presence, seeking only your face so that you would reveal yourself to us and we would draw closer and become more and more your people every day. We love you so much and we just give this time to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so... Again, you might be thinking, all right, we wrapped up on Genesis chapter 9 last week. We're skipping a little bit, so I'll just point out the heading for chapter 10 says, Nations Descended from Noah. We have one of those moments where genealogy kind of story takes place. We start saying, oh, this is the son of this person. They had these kids, and there's a bunch of that there, right? So naturally, as if we were reading it on our own time, we just kind of skip ahead. Right? Because if we're being honest, let's be real, how many of us just skip past the genealogies? Let's get to the good part, right? So we're going to move on to chapter 11. 
and we're going to read this first line. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. I'm going to stop right there because I got I got I got you said it was too early for Matt to play tricks on you like that, right? Yeah, I w- I'm kind of being a jerk, too. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of being a jerk, too, because, see, I didn't skip chapter 10, and I read it. And if we were to act like that, if we were to ignore the genealogy that's there, God has blessed us with his word because, as a whole, it works together. And as a whole, there are important little pieces of the puzzle that help us understand that are sometimes really easy to miss, especially when our brain goes into autopilot once we start seeing all the names. But I want to read the beginning of chapter 10 because I was kind of being honorary. And I want to move back just a little bit and read the beginning of chapter 10. Because remember, the beginning of chapter 11 says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. So if I skip back over here to chapter 10, it says this. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Jepheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Eshkenaz, Ripath, and Togarmah, the Dodamin, uh, oh wait, sorry, I skipped a line, uh, Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodan. From these, uh, there's hard names to pronounce, I get that, but right here, verse 5, from these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. Now hold on a second. Chapter 10, own languages. Chapter 11, all one language. What happened? I'm confused, right? We look at this and we say, wait, what is going on here? Because in our Western mind, the way we do things, the way we talk, the way we tell stories, it makes perfect sense for us to write in chronological order. The events need to take place in order. And especially because for us, it's part of building that story. But for this language and this culture, what they would do is they would oftentimes reorganize some of these details in writing in order to put most important things first or last, to put emphasis on them, or to point out the obvious hints and subtleties that we might need to understand and know. Because here's really the case. If we remember in chapter 9 what was happening, right? Noah gets off the boat, God sets this new covenant, and he gives them a command. Do you remember what it was? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? You're now going, as a family, to go be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Now, if we would read this chronologically, and we would say, hey, look, chapter 10, they started to do that. They've split up, here's his family, they're headed this way to the coast, and they've got their own language, and this family's headed off this way, and they've got their language. They're doing exactly what God said, right, if we read this chronologically. But then chapter 11 reminds us and helps us see and understand, hey, I didn't write this chronologically. I wrote this so that you could understand the bigger picture here, because here at the end of this section, this chapter 11, and that when I'm talking about this chunk of this book, I want you to understand that these people did not listen. I want you to understand something happened before they spread out and started to multiply and fill the earth. And here's the story that takes place. Chapter 11, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay, 
So this is one of the stories you may have may or may not have heard of before. It's kind of this weird little thing that sometimes we talk about, sometimes we don't. And in this moment, the people, are, they find this plain. They're kind of getting settled after the flood. They're, they are starting to multiply. They're taking care of that part. But they're all kind of gathered together. And they also call everybody else that isn't there yet in. They said, hey, here's this nice plain. We can build a city. We can start to construct and build something pretty special. We've got this new technology we figured out, right? It's called the brick. We figured out how to pack this stuff and heat it in the sun and, it, and now I'll, and heat it really good and now it's really strong. And now we, we can shape this so we're not trying to cut rocks to make things work. We have this thing we can shape to make it what we want it to be and we can start to build this tower. And we can start to build this massive city where we all collect together and we can work together and we can all do things as one. Now part of me initially would say, that doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? Based off our culture and our the way we do things, that's kind of the way stuff works, right? We work together cooperatively. You share your knowledge with me, I'll share my knowledge with you, and we work together to try to figure out how we can make this thing happen. And we do some pretty impressive things, right? Like over the course of time, people have done amazing things in a very short span of time. It's incredible when we look how quickly society has changed in terms of technology from when I was in elementary school and I was making this little triangle loop around a screen on a Commodore 64 to carrying this computer in my pocket. There's so much more. Right? Quickly, 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 we've advanced. We can share knowledge. People rip off the other people's knowledge. They say, ooh, let me take that apart and see how it works. All right, cool. I stole that technology. Now I can move on with this one. And they build and they accomplish such amazing things. And, and we honestly talk about community and how much stronger we are as one body here, even. And we think, how is it bad for the people to be united in one language? Man, it makes things a lot easier if we all spoke the language. I think that even amongst English-speaking people. You say things, but we're saying different things. We speak the same language, but we don't mean the same thing. You understand, you can a moment where you're talking, and you're like, we think we understand, but we're on completely different pages. Or, I've been in meetings where I've heard people argue and fight, and I'm going, you guys are saying the same thing. You just don't realize it yet. How can I help you realize you're saying the same thing, right? It becomes incredibly frustrating speaking the same language as it is to hear this one language would seem like a good idea. But the problem lies here in these verses, and we really look at it, it says this. They said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower that's top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Couple things they said there. Let's build a city for ourselves. Let's construct something where we can all tile in here together and all be close together and do this for ourselves so that we can create a name for ourselves. And this tower that we'll build will reach up to the heavens. People will look at how high and elevated, how lofty we are, what we've accomplished, these great heights we've accomplished to bring ourselves back to a high position. And it will allow us the space for the verse to spread around. Is God told them to set up. God told them to fill the earth. God told them this is what my definition of good is. I want Noah to start over again. I'm not going to wipe out the earth again. I told Noah and his sons that this is how we're going to go about building this new covenant. I told him that I want him to follow me, right? Because the same way he followed me building the ark, he should listen to me and my guidance and my direction. But here they are saying we're going to build for ourselves something. This is something we can do and accomplish and build and make great. But all of it revolves around us. 
There's some interesting things that happen there, starting in verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. I love the fact that the author takes this little jab at the people here. Because they built this massive tower. They built this tower that goes into the heavens. No one has built anything like this before. It goes so high. And yet the author goes out of his way to say, God came down to see the community tower. Right? The, the language that's used puts God on such a high level to help us understand that it doesn't matter how high we think we can go. It doesn't matter how high we think we can build. It doesn't matter how great we can think we can make ourselves. God still has to step down to find us at level. There's no height that we can ourselves get to or achieve that even comes close to what God desires. His knowledge is so much higher. His understanding, his existence is so much higher. And this isn't like an altitude thing. This isn't like, oh, you guys were close. Heaven's another 30 miles up. You've got to keep going. It's not like an actual distance thing that's being said here. It's an understanding that it doesn't matter how physically high we can get, God's ways are still higher than our ways. God's understanding is still higher than our understanding. God's purposes are still bigger than our purposes. And the Lord says in verse 6, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. The Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babylon. Because the Lord there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. God says this together, pace they're going, they're able to work together, they're able to communicate, they're able to keep this momentum going, there's nothing they'll be able to accomplish. There's nothing they won't be able to accomplish. They'll accomplish incredible things. You know why? Because God understands that we were created in his image. God understands that he gave us the gift of creativity, just like he is the creator. We are creators. God understands that he gave us so many different attributes that are of him that would allow us to accomplish amazing things. The problem is, God also understands that if they keep going on their own, they keep building, there's nothing they'll be able to, well, they won't be able to accomplish. The problem is, they will start building for themselves. They will continue to build something that honestly revolves completely around them and has very little, if nothing, to do about me. And there won't be any room for people who want to follow me. There won't be any room for people to, to, to really find some sense of who I am in the midst of this world that is all about them. Everything will revolve around them. They will accomplish amazing things, but it will all forever be about them. And so God disperses them and changes their languages and spreads them out and really ultimately gives them separate words. Not that they've accomplished anything, but God's got this plan. God's got this amazing process. In fact, I've said this whole time we're talking about Genesis chapters 1 through 11. If you look there at the Bible, the very next heading, because we continue on here, Shem's descendants, and if you look and you follow Shem's descendants down through the rest of chapter 11, and then it gets into genealogies and numbers. And that kind of gets to be one of those places where we check out. But if we follow it all the way down, we're seeing that from Shem's descendants all the way down, we'll get to this place there in chapter, or, uh, 
In verse 26 it says, When Terah, for 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And in the beginning of chapter 12, we start to pick up the story of this man named Abram, who eventually would be called Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. You know, he only had one. Well, though technically, that's another story for another day. But we look at the first 11 chapters that are building to this moment where God is saying, Look, you guys have messed up and sin has continued to infect, and here's the different ways that your heart is broken. Here's the different ways the relationship is broken. Here are all the different ways that you continue to give in to this sin in your lives and be infected by it. Flooding isn't going to solve the problem. You working together isn't going to solve the problem. You building some business for yourself isn't going to solve the problem. Because the problem still exists that everything in this world revolves around you. You want people to proclaim your name. You want to look out at all the masses and for them to say how great you are. You want all praise and all exaltation to be about you. And if we look back at the beginning of the story, I, which means God, created the heavens and the earth. I created everything, and the praise of everyone should be directed to me. Praise isn't for you. The praise isn't in what you can accomplish. In fact, the city you're accomplishing is still so low compared to what I, what I could accomplish. I have to step down to even better. We know God doesn't really have to step down, but the author wants us to understand how much bigger God is and how much more amazing and great God is. And Give us a sense of the fact that what God is capable of creating is far greater than anything we could ever accomplish on our own. It revolves around us and brings all the praise to Him. Because we were so created in the image of God, by God, and nothing we could do could outshine the Creator Himself. And so God spreads these people out so that He can begin work on what's going to start in chapter 12. This plan that's going to start working forward to ultimately prove a cure to this to bring about healing in a broken and lost world, to crush the sin that affects our lives. The story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob eventually becomes Israel. Israel, who has 12 sons, the tribes of Israel, who spread and become God's nation who are captive in Egypt. God rescues from captivity in Egypt. He delivers to the promised land that he promised them. And how he protects them all the way giving Abraham in the very beginning this promise that we heard even sooner than that back in chapter 3 of Genesis. There's someone who's going to come who's going to solve the problem. There's someone who's coming. He's going to be the, the one who crushes the head of the snake. He's coming. To Abraham in chapter 12, he starts to talk to him. He goes, I'm going to raise a great nation out of you, and through your descendants, for even all of eternity through you. Through your line, through your lineage, there's the same promise to David. Through your line, I will put a king on the throne who will rule forever. Through your line. These genealogies become important because if we keep following all of them, if we keep connecting the dots off from there, we can see all the way from Abraham, all the way up through David, all the way up through to Jesus himself, that God fulfills his promise and bring in a Savior that will eventually wipe out the sickness. For us to fully appreciate the sickness, for us to really truly appreciate the cure for the sickness, we have to understand these symptoms that we constantly face in our lives. Because the problem is, sometimes we just don't know. We look and we say evils in the world exist. 
And we don't want there to be us in this evil. And it's easy for us to distance ourselves from this evil because we ourselves are so prideful. This is one of those things where we like to exalt ourselves because of how good of a follower we are in Jesus. We like to exalt ourselves because we have found a way to get back into his good graces by the way we attend church, by the way we follow his rules, by the way we know our Bible. We try to exalt ourselves because we found some way to get back into his good graces. And the reality is he is setting us up to understand it doesn't matter what you build, it doesn't matter what you accomplish, it doesn't matter how much you work together, anything you can do on your own strength or on your own merit will still be so low. And so far from reaching him that in the next chapter I have to send someone else to rescue me. They're incapable of rescuing themselves. They're incapable of building up community. They're incapable of accomplishing what needs to be done to eradicate. The problem is that they're so prideful they don't recognize the sin and the brokenness that is still infecting the world. Because the world still revolves around me and I feel like, like we talked about last week, if I can just get so far down the road, if I can do these three steps, I'll feel pretty good about myself and I'll feel like I'm a good follower. If I can do these things, I'll feel like I've accomplished enough to get myself higher up. We build these massive churches all around the world and we say, look at all the people we have, look at all the programs we have, look at all the things we've accomplished and all the things we've done. The question is, is that phrase about us and how wonderful our church is, is that phrase about how great our God is and how splendidly there is none? Maybe we have not that big of a church, but we're really proud of our people, we're really happy with how our people behave and how they are, and we're, we're really we're really convicted and and passionate about following God's word. And we're, if we're not careful, it doesn't matter what we do we do worship. If it's still about us and who we are, if it's still about us and what we're doing, if it's still about all these things, it becomes really easy to miss all the different ways sin is still affecting our lives. And all of a sudden we realize we're still putting ourselves on a pedestal about how good I am at not sinning because I don't do these things. We still tear others down because we know they are still sinning and they are still doing these things. And so we tear down their name and we give them a little more to the sickness. I don't trust other people to get things done from the arm length and I just do other things myself and we're too prideful to ask for help. We're too prideful to say we just don't want to bother people. We don't want to do these things but we don't allow the good work to happen in our lives that needs to happen. The conviction, the encouragement, the, um, the different things that being a body brings together because I mean, the body is all about itself. It's all about its own self-centered attitudes, its own self-centered drive. It lives in this place, place of pride where we're still trying to build our own things, our own understanding, our own way of getting to God, our own way of engaging with Him. And the ultimate question at the end of the day is what I'm building in this life and in this world is about my comfort? Is it about my well-being? Is it about my enjoyment and my fulfillment? Is it about the things I can gain for myself? Or is it about every breath I breathe? being an act of worship and praise to the only one who could ever truly define good. Is everything I do in this life about drawing people to the one who is good and building his kingdom that he set forth to establish beginning right here in Genesis chapter 12? You look at some of those genealogies that we have a tough time going through. You look in, especially Matthew. Matthew's really good about Genesis genealogy that walks us all the way through. And you see Rahab, this prostitute that was helped hide the spies whenever they took the city of Jericho and her in the promised land. And you see that she was a part of the genealogy that leads to Jesus. 
you see Ruth, this other little story that gets shared, and you see how she was part of this genealogy, this lineage that leads to Jesus. And you see all these different names that you start to recognize as you look through some of those. Not all of them, but some of them. Because this whole book has always ever been leading up to the cure for our brokenness. Every story plays into this bigger picture of what's happening. And then after Jesus comes and he accomplishes what he needs to accomplish on the cross, he rises from the dead and says, now it's your turn. You go. Starting next week, we're going to talk exactly about what he accomplished on that cross and through that resurrection. We're going to talk about what he accomplished through his life and how the life that he lived makes such a significant impact on the world and and eradicating the sickness in our lives. And then the last week is we're going to talk about what our role is in seeing that cure, that treatment, that that process that God's put into place here continue so that more and more people might come to know him. But ultimately it starts right here with us recognizing our own sin, our own pride, our own shortcoming, our, our own symptoms. Not the picture evil that we find it easy to point out that's easy to identify, but the stuff that's sitting here in our hearts that's just festering and growing. The ways we distrust, the ways that we dislike, the ways that we put each other down, the ways that we try to make a name for ourselves and elevate our position, the ways that we take hold of desires and, and things. It's just easier for me to keep doing my thing and my work week and my the stuff I got going, yeah, I probably should get more involved with the church. I should get more involved in doing stuff that has to do with my faith. But I just don't have time for that. And then the way we take on those selfish desires and all of it, if we don't address it, if we don't look at it, if we don't take the time to slow down and see his face, it's ultimately that pride settling in and saying, no, it's okay. You can keep doing work for me. You can keep doing things your way. You can keep establishing things the way you want them to be. Just ignore God's kingdom. But ultimately, the story told us God was the one who created what was good. In fact, he said it was very good. And we're the ones who took all of that fruit and said, no, I think I'll define good. I think I'll make it about me instead of you. And therefore, I'm just going to go on living the way I live because it's easier that way. It's fun. It's more fun that way. It feels better. There's a lot of different ways. I just want to keep doing my own thing. And I know that God's word says I should do this. And I know God's word says I should do that. And I know it's... I know I should probably be more active in serving this way. I know I should be more active in being involved and being encouraged and being all these other things, but eh, I mean, no one else is doing it, so I'm probably okay, right? This week, we remember Easter and we remember this moment that Jesus was about to go to the cross. And he's having that last supper with his disciples, and we remember every week the bread that he broke and the, juice, the wine that he shared. And we remember the commitment that he made to do this in remembrance of me, and I will do it again with you one day. You'll be in my presence. Remember me. We forget the other part of that evening that was so significantly important. The moment where Jesus got down on the floor, took off his outer garment, and he began to wash the disgusting, nasty feet of his disciples. The work of a servant. The work of the lowliest servant. And he says, if you truly want to be my followers, this is where you find yourself. Completely on your hands and feet, serving in the dirtiest jobs. My kingdom is not about building you up to the highest place. My kingdom is about saying the people at the highest place will be the lowest, and the people who are the lowest will be exalted to the highest. My kingdom is backwards. It doesn't make sense to you because your definition of good has always been broken and messed up. 
my definition of good, the kingdom that I'm establishing, the kingdom that I'm building, will always be good. If you trust me and humble yourself and follow in my example, the example that will ultimately lead me to the cross, to sacrifice all for you. That is the type of humility and death to self that Christ calls us to. That is how we establish this kingdom, not by seeing how high we can get and how much praise we can receive. It's about saying how low can we get and how humbled and broken, how much of myself can I offer up in praise to him. I talked about Silas and the Legos at the beginning, and I love this example. It says it's been a good week I've been feeling. God's presence in so many different ways and in that moment, you're looking there and you're seeing this little guy say, is this the right way? Is this the right way? And you're constantly looking at Daddy to say, is this where we put it? And when he doesn't put it in the right place, he laughs and giggles because he's being honored. He's, he's good for it, kind of honestly. And he puts it in the wrong place and kind of giggles and then he's like, no, I'll get the right place. But he's happy when he knows that I'm saying, yep, that's it. You did great. How quickly do we lose that childlike sense of faith where our eyes turn to the Father? We say, is this it? I want to make you happy. I want to make you smile. I want to find delight in you and what you want. I want to follow your way for building this kingdom that accomplishes this. And I want to delight in you saying, well done, good and faithful servant. But in order to do that, I have to stop building up something for myself. And I have to follow Jesus' example in death. Pick up your cross daily and follow him. The only way for us to overcome the sickness is through Christ. Christ crucified. But Jesus wasn't just dying to pay a penalty that we couldn't pay for ourselves. He was accomplishing what no other man before him could accomplish. True death to self. For he says, it's not my will be done, but yours, Father. As he prayed in that garden that week, he said, it's not my will be done, he said, but it's yours. If this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. I'd rather do it a different way, but if this is what you want done, I'll do it. And unlike Adam and Eve, and unlike Noah and Ham and everybody else that messed up all along the way, Jesus was the one who came out and said, I've accomplished what you wanted me to accomplish. I've sacrificed and surrendered and given of myself in such a way that your work can be done. And we'll dive more next week into what that looks like. But the question I have for us this morning as we wrap up our time is this. Are we letting our own pride and own desire to be lifted up get in the way of truly humbling ourselves so that we can seek the faith of Jesus? Because if we are letting pride get in the way and we're not doing the hard work it takes to rip ourselves open and leave ourselves exposed, to, to really dig in and do that hard work of searching our own hearts and our own self, that sickness can still just get around in there and take hold and keep a hold keep us away from his presence and what his definition of good is, and it will keep us living for ourselves. So the question I have for this morning as the worship team comes back up is simply this. Are we willing to follow in Christ's example that we celebrate this time every year and die that more to ourselves? Or do we want to keep building our own kingdom, and building, building towards our own praise and our own means and our own celebration in this world? personally want to hear Christ say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I know sometimes I'm way too lazy for that to be true. 
I'm way too comfortable. I'm way too content. I'm way too focused on me and what I have going on to feel like I'm truly invested in what he wants me to do. The question is, if I find myself at that crossroad, am I willing to take the steps to do something about it? Or am I just going to keep knowing that it's there and ignoring it? And this morning, we all have to ask the same question. So I'm asking you to stand. I'm just going to simply ask you to pray this morning. A simple prayer. There's a prayer that you can pray through this week in your, in your bulletins. But I'm simply asking, God, am I living for myself and trying to build my own kingdom here? Or am I living that my life might be praise and service to you so that I can build your kingdom here with your help and your guidance? If you need prayer this morning for anything else that's going on in your life, please don't hesitate to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. If you need to talk through what it means to follow Jesus and enter a relationship with him, we'd love to have that conversation with you as well. Let's bow our heads and go to him in prayer. Father, I love you. And I am overwhelmed by your presence this week. I thank you for the ways that you've been speaking in my heart, the ways that you've been drawing me into your presence, the ways that you're helping me to die a little bit more to myself every day. Father, I know it's a long process and it's not something that just happens today. But Father, I pray every day you'll help me recognize that new selfish desire in me, that, that way, help me to recognize those ways that I'm insecure, help me to recognize those ways that I tear other people down, Father, help me to recognize those ways that I don't trust and don't hand off and don't give to myself. Father, I pray that you would help me to find those things in myself and die to them more every day. Because my heart's desire is to serve you and you alone, that I would be a part of building your kingdom here. And Father, to establish what it is you started and continue to be a part of working in it. Father, I would take seriously that call to go and make disciples. And so, Father, I just give the time to you and I pray that you speak to our hearts. Convict us, move us, help us to lay down our pride and pray that we draw close to you. Thank you.